Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week, one minute he is consoling the family of a young woman who was murdered and found dead in the trunk of a car. And next, he is being arrested for putting her in that trunk. It's a bitter pill to swallow for one family now dealing with grief and betrayal. But first... When the defense attorney appears more dangerous than the criminal, they are defending. Police say that she fell for her client and fell hard. She wanted a witness gone, a person charging her client with domestic abuse. So, according to the DA, this duo killed the witness and her parents so no one could testify. Well, there are going to be a lot of people testifying against them as they head to trial for three murders. We're recording this on Wednesday, December 6th of 2023. Our guest today is Dr. Judy Ho, a clinical and forensic neuropsychologist, a professor, a prolific author, a dear friend of the show. Judy, we're so excited to have you back. It's been a while. I know it's been a while. Thank you so much for having me back, Anna, and for all your support, and happy holidays. Yes, happy holidays. I haven't decorated <laughs> yet. I'm so behind. Oh, man. Well, you still have time. It's only early December. You're good. You're good. You're it's good. good. It's good. It's good. And good. Judy, you have a new book out that we're going to talk about later. What's the yeah. title? It's called The New Rules of Attachment. I'm so excited about this book. And yeah, can't wait to speak to you all about it. Oh, I have so many issues, Judy. You know, when you're on, all I can think about is all the things I need to ask Judy to help me get through. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Anna. Well, I can't wait to chat more about that. But first, there's these crazy cases. I just can't. Oh, my gosh. What is it with people? Why do they do such stupid and morally corrupt and heinous things just to fix some problem somewhere else? Right. Exactly. It's like they're short, not only short sighted, but just, you know, not not only the consequence to another human being's life or multiple human beings' lives, but also their life. You know, have you ever really thought about what's going to happen to you after this? I mean, it's just, it's insane. Clearly, they are not thinking and they're not making good choices. And that's why I love this podcast, because I love to talk about human behavior 
at the end of the day, it's about choices and the, the problems people have and the choices they make. And sadly, they are the worst choices ever, which, I know. you know, you can give us a little bit of insight into. Yes. Okay. Our first case is out of Beggs, Oklahoma. And, you know, we're asking the question here, who is more dangerous? The former criminal defense attorney or her criminal client turned lover boyfriend? You know, instead of bringing up the best in each other, Judy, these two have brought out the worst in each other without question. Without question. It's like they're just upping the ante by being together and like... I mean, they're terrible ideas of, it's like groupthink at its worst, right? And that's kind of what it feels like. And it's not like, you know, she was an angel before this. You know how yeah. I hear this sob story all the time. And, you know, I know a few people, they always blame, this is going to sound terrible, but they always blame the other one, right? Oh, she was such a wonderful woman until she met this guy and he dragged her down. Really? I think maybe you have a predisposition or there's something off with you if you let somebody bring you down and vice versa, whether it's, you know, a horrible woman, a horrible woman bringing down a good man. Right, exactly. And in this case, I know that you're going to get into all the details, but this is something where you can't just say, well, uh, you know, he negatively influenced me and I was so innocent before because she actually knew of many of his alleged crimes before and still decided to step into the personal realm of the relationship with him. Yeah, absolutely. Some of this was her idea. Okay, we've been covering this case since 2019 when it happened. And what is new here is that the state is asking, tightening the screws and asking for the death penalty. It's possible that they may want these two to maybe enter into a plea and avoid a trial. I I have no idea. I have no idea, but it is getting very serious. So the accused here, here they are. A former criminal defense attorney, 38-year-old Keegan Harris, and her client turned boyfriend, Barry Titus II, who's 40. Keegan's 38, Barry's 40. Okay, now they are charged. It gets a little complicated here. They are both charged with murdering Barry's ex-girlfriend who had accused battery of domestic violence. And with the battery case coming up against him, his attorney slash lover decides, let's get this case dismissed. And the best way to dismiss the case is to get rid of the accuser, get rid of the woman. First, they try to discredit her. And then when that doesn't work, the police say the two of them murdered her at her parents' house and also murdered her parents to make sure that they could not be witnesses. So now you have three dead people, 43-year-old Tiffany Icor, that was the ex-girlfriend, and her parents, Jack, who was 65, and Evelyn Chandler, 69. Three people dead because this guy is facing potential, you know, potential imprisonment if convicted on domestic violence charges. Wow. How does this solve the problem? It uh, doesn't. I mean, that's that's what's crazy. And of course, the charge, the original charge is domestic violence and assault. So this is, I mean, this is just obviously the most extreme version of that is murder, right? But it's, mm-hmm. you know, if you were hoping to say that you were innocent and claiming that, clearly this is not going to help your original case. No, no. So, you know, it 
as we said, it's not like the attorney was an angel here before she met Barry Titus. So back in 2014, she, the attorney, was charged with assault and battery on a police officer in addition to domestic assault on her then husband, Nicholas Harris. So the officer was injured in the middle of responding to this domestic violence call. The husband told investigators at the time that Keegan had kicked him in the face. Somehow the charges ultimately get dropped, which I always find troubling with domestic violence when charges are dropped. Yeah, me too. Because they generally signify a very dangerous issue that that law enforcement is not dealing with by, by dropping charges. Right. Um, we know that it can be very, very difficult for the person who is the identified victim of domestic violence disputes to get out of a relationship that is clearly abusive and problematic. And unfortunately, a, a substantial proportion of individuals then go on not only to experience even more extreme domestic violence, but even a small proportion of that, they go on to essentially be accidentally killed in a domestic violence dispute. Sometimes it's on purpose, but a lot of times it's just on accident during the heat of the argument. Um, So it leads to terrible consequences. But even knowing that, when somebody's in the relationship, it can be really hard to see that and to get out. And sometimes abusers can kind of come back, be really contrite, they'll love bomb their partner and their partner says, okay, let me give this another chance. And then they contact the police and they say, you know what, I don't want to press charges. Judy, what is your opinion of what appears to be two histories of domestic violence? And when the two alleged accused abusers then come together and form their own relationship. How does that work? Right. I mean, not only is there obviously concern that perhaps they're going to be making another domestically violent partnership, perhaps on both sides, more than anything, it's like their own ideas about what's okay and what's a good way to treat somebody in a relationship is completely warped. And they kind of are on the same wavelength about, well, whatever goes. And if there is abuse or there's assault, that's kind of just comes with the territory. So it's almost like they, they essentially feed into each other's ideas about what's right and what's wrong in a relationship. And their moral codes are essentially just Uh, completely sideways because they're in this partnership with one another and basically they can get into this place where you can say, you know what, we're the ones who are right and everybody else is just making a big deal out of nothing. So if two abusers come together and form a relationship, are they abusive to each other or do they take that energy and turn it to the outside world? That's a great question. And I mean, I think that certainly there's always the risk that they're just going to be abusive of one another. And it's kind of like not an either or it could be an and. So there could be abuse within their relationship. But also if they feel like they're being ostracized by society or that people don't understand them, then whatever anger that is pent up that's leading to the domestic violence disputes could essentially be turned outside the home to other people that they see as common enemies. And in this case, this could have very well been what happened. I mean, essentially, it's like, look at these people trying to take us down. Well, I know because I used to be in the same position. I was accused of being domestically violent towards my ex-partner. I know how you're feeling and I know how we're going to get out of it. It's almost like taking up each other's causes in a way. And revenge revenging and avenging each other. Wow, that is really layered. I hadn't looked at it that way before. So 
After this domestic violence incident with her husband, four years later, in October of 2018, Keegan begins representing Barry on charges, um, Mm -hmm. drug charges and firearms charges. And that is when the two of them fall in love and have an affair. So the former law partner of Keegan, no longer works with her back, at least back then, said that when Barry Titus came into her life, quote, her decision-making went down the tubes. Again, I'm going to make an argument that there was always a little something-something there. Yeah. I mean, again, it's interesting, right? Because as you were telling, retelling that part of their history, what also struck me is, um, and this is this is your romantic meet-cute that you're defending somebody in serious charges and allegations. And you're thinking, this might be a good partner for me. So to me, that that's just amazing because, you know, as the attorney, you have attorney-client privilege. You learn essentially all the ins and outs of someone's life in many ways so that you can adequately represent them and defend them. And so she's being led into his deep, dark secrets, many of which are horrible, and sound like there's a lot of morally questionable, if not corrupt ideas in his life and how he goes about things. And her response is, I want to date this person and have sex with them and make them my love. I mean, that is, I don't know, that that just blows my mind as you were talking about. Yeah, it does. So Barry was charged with domestic violence and battery for a 2017 incident where he allegedly beat and tried to strangle his then-girlfriend, Tiffany Icor, one of the three who was murdered. And Tiffany met Barry on Tinder, and at this point, she had a restraining order against him. So she accused him of domestic violence, and she had a restraining order. So it's in the middle of this that Keegan, the attorney, first is dealing with the drug charges, now is dealing with, I mean... The guy is looking like a career criminal here. It's not like it's just like one thing in an otherwise seemingly perfect life. No, 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 no. That is not who he presents to be or is. So investigators say that attorney Keegan first tried to discredit Tiffany. Now, how she handles this, okay, how she chooses, this is what she does according to the police. You know, instead of maybe saying, oh, she's a liar, I don't know. She decides to turn to one of her other clients who, um, (laughs) you know, has all sorts of problems with drug charges. She turns to this other client and she says, I need you to help me. This is what she says, according to the client who um, ultimately turned against her and went to the police. He testified to police that she said, I want you to plant a bag of meth at Tiffany's house, the place where she lives with her 60-year-old parents. Um, But that didn't work out. The plan didn't work out. So here's how the plan went down. So he does plant a bag, but it's not meth. I guess the guy is like, look, I'm not that crazy. He plants a bag. Her parents find it. So they call the police and they're like, something really suspicious is in our house. And we believe that someone put it here. The police come out, they test it, it's powdered sugar. So there's really not much that the police are gonna do about this. So, (laughs) right? It's like, this is a little weird. I think your Christmas cookie baking, maybe someone forgot a bag somewhere, you know, from the police perspective. But the family decides 
Tiffany's family decides, her dad says, you know what, we are in danger here and I'm putting up surveillance cameras, which they do. So the methamphetamine witness intimidation plan obviously completely fell apart. And that Mm -hmm. is when Barry and Keegan went to plan B, which (laughs) it's, it's, I don't like, honestly, you're a criminal defense attorney. You should know better. There have to be other ways using legal right. tools to figure right. out how to defend your client. This right. is this is not how you, they teach you in law school, right? I mean, this is what's, what's crazy is that, I mean, of course, we know how horribly this story actually ends. And when you talk about this portion of their thinking, it's almost like child's play. Like, you're, I mean, you know the police is going to test the substance, right? So even if you're trying to discredit Tiffany by saying, oh, she's a meth user, or that she possesses meth and she intends to sell it or whatever the plan was, you don't think that the police is going to go and test the substance and know that it's sugar? You didn't even think that maybe you might try to go get an actual bag of meth? Like, I don't know. You know, it's like, right. just weird, right? Just like, it is. this is like a child's version of, this is how I'm going to subvert the police. You know, it's just, it's and so And I, I so do odd. believe that Keegan wanted real meth planted there. And I believe that her client was like, no way, lady, I got enough problems. I'll help mm-hmm. you in the sense I'll plant something with the thoughts that the somehow this would be a form of intimidation that might actually work because they would know where it was coming from. I, I That's what I'm thinking because I don't think she was going to play around with, with powdered sugar. I, I believe that the person no. she sent to do it was like, ooh, I got enough charges against me, right? Right, right, right. Let I got just- enough. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll, I'll support you in that. I'll let you do whatever it is that you had planned, but I'm not going to go and procure a bag of meth for this purpose and essentially possibly get in more trouble based right. on that. Right. Right. And this plot, the plot with the bag, um, really is key to figuring out who killed the three. Because when the three were found dead, the guy who says he planted that bag of not meth, but sugar, Joe Uribe. He was already a defendant in a drug trafficking case. Mm. He went to the authorities trying to get leniency for his current problem. Now, at least his problem solving, actually, I think he has much better problem solving tools than the other two, because he's like, I got a situation I got to get out of. I have some information that may help the police and may help me much more logical use of potential tools there. So he, he tells the police that he planted that bag at the direction of his attorney, Keegan. He specifically said that it was for revenge. She had told him it was for Mm. revenge. And here's the part that we didn't know. He tells the cops, she even told the guy planning the bag of drugs, and then make sure to contact your DEA, you know, agent friend. And you tell him they're running drugs out of there. So the setup was not only to plant it, but then to have the authorities come in and raid the house, find the meth, and then take them all into prison, to jail. Oh my God. That was the plan. But of course it didn't work out because nope. the, the one executing the plan was like, ooh, yeah. No. Right, right, right. All right, so... Here's the other thing that's important to keep in mind as how they're reacting to what's going on. So at this point, Barry, remember he has the domestic violence charge against him. This is 
before Tiffany is dead. So the drugs have been planted, the fake drugs have been planted. That didn't work out. So Barry is offered a plea deal of 10 years behind bars for the domestic assault charge. This potential prison time is what undoes Bonnie and Clyde here because they want a life together and Barry going to prison isn't going to make her happy. So that's when plan B is executed, literally executing the witness and her parents. It's just horrific, horrific. So let's, let's get to, um, the day before the crime and the day of the crime, because it's kind of interesting. Again, it gives you insight into how they're thinking and you would expect more and almost like a better cover up of the crime from a criminal defense attorney, right? You expect good skills here. And this is not what we're seeing. So according to prosecutors, Barry and Keegan drove to Keegan's family home, her home in Frisco, Texas on September 6th of 2019. Couple had dinner with her family before checking into the Red Roof Inn in Plano, Texas. They were going to be out of state and they were gonna have plenty of witnesses. Oh, they were here having dinner. They checked into the motel. That was the alibi that they had set up. Authorities say after they checked into the hotel, the couple then drove three hours back to Beggs, Oklahoma, to the family home where Tiffany lives with her parents. And Tiffany's parents and Tiffany were killed about 3 a.m. on September 7th. So technically the next day, the next day after, you know, but in the early morning hours after dinner. Police say there is security footage of two masked assailants getting out of the vehicle, but because the killers cut electricity to the house and cut the phone lines, that's where the video ends. So there's, there's, there's some video, but not enough video. Then the assailants, again, police say it's these two, but at the point of the murder, they were just two mass assailants. assailants. They kick in the door and the first person to be shot is Jack, the dad. Mm-hmm. Then Tiffany is gunned down as she's being chased down the hall and she's shot in the back. The mother is hiding in a closet. They find her in the closet and they shoot her dead too. So you have three victims shot with two different weapons. So... A family member finds them dead. That's how they're discovered. And this family member tells the police, you know, look, there was an issue going on because Tiffany had a restraining order against this Barry Titus guy and there was an upcoming case and there was going to be a trial. Here's something they didn't plan on. Remember how they went to have dinner with her family in Texas? Right. They did not plan on her brother once he found out that three people were dead and that Barry, you know, was involved with the case with one of the victims. Her brother goes to the police and turns over a weapon that he believes may have been used in the commission of this triple homicide. Oh, my gosh. Someone, at least in that family, did the right thing. Exactly. Wow. That's crazy. You know, which goes back to nature nurture. It's like, all right, one sibling here knows right from wrong. What happened to this one? What happened to her? Exactly. Wow. Okay. I mean, I I do 
You know, I think that's important. I think it's really that important, important. That, that the family just didn't just try to cover everything up. Oh, yeah, they were here for dinner. No, there's no way they could have done it. They're like, we want no part of this. And exactly. chances are they know a lot more about who she truly is and her boyfriend yep. Than, yep. than we know right now. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I'm sure it was a conflict, right? I mean, even if you're just the most morally upright person, you know, this is your family member. Like, you do feel bad about what you're about to do, but he knew that that was the right thing to do. What is really striking, though, is that as they're kind of concocting this plan, because I know you were saying, Anna, like that this whole idea of Barry having a potential prison sentence was what kind of set off this course of horrible events that led to this triple homicide. But like at any point, wouldn't they think that they were already persons of interest and they wouldn't get away with it? That's just ridiculous, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would just, I'm just trying to understand and get insight into their thinking and their belief that they could get away with something like this, just like coincidentally, her and her parents are murdered when all of this is going on. If she has no other known enemies, I mean, yeah. No one had more motive than Barry. Exactly. Yes. No yes. one. Absolutely no one had more motive. It's so, I mean, he would rise to the top of the list as far as suspects. Exactly. And the, obviously, you know, the, the alibi is not going to be that good. Um, nope. even though all of the evidence has not been released yet by prosecutors, which will come out at trial, there are some things that they're saying are very potentially damning. Right. Now, one of the things that the cops did was when the weapon was turned in, the police went ahead and charged them both on federal charges. I, I guess may of transporting a guy. Some something in there was it, this was the federal charge. So um, they ultimately did plead guilty on these weapons charges. Now they hadn't been charged with the murder yet. They probably thought mm -hmm. they, you know, my guess is they thought, oh, let's plead guilty on the weapons charge and we can skate on the murder. Right, right. Because they're just so freaking brilliant, so much smarter oh than everybody gosh. else in the room. So yeah. Keegan received 24 months and Barry received 36 months. And right after their sentences were rendered on those federal um, weapons charges, on April 8th of 2021, Keegan and Barry were finally charged with three counts of first-degree murder and one count of first-degree burglary for the shooting death of Tiffany, Jack, and Evelyn. Now, here's some of the evidence that authorities say they have against them. So there's apparently some DNA left at the scene. They found a baseball cap that seemed to match the video before it stopped recording that showed the two assailants. That baseball cap has Barry's DNA on it, according to police. Hmm. I think it's important, but I don't know if that's enough to prove. Do you know what I mean? Because it's right. it was found that, do you know, it wasn't at the scene of the murder. It was outside. So right, right, right. there's that. There's the ballistics that they're, you know, that they can match. And yeah. then there's that security video. Here's what's interesting about the security video talking about they think they're the smartest ones in the room. According to authorities, the security camera captured a 2010 Lexus. It's a, that's a pretty unique car considering it's 2019. Do you know right. what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, that's a very unique car. Yeah. For, because it's an old car. So um, that Lexus 
appears to be the same kind of car, same kind of car that the attorney drives. Again, not not very bright. Nope. Nope. You drive your own car to the scene of the crime? Again, like that is just like, just poor problem solving. If you're going to try to pull off a car, and she's an attorney, like, you know how these investigations work. You've seen probably hundreds, if not thousands of you know, reports from police and other things like this. Like, so what would possess you to not only drive your own car, but just the idea of we're going to pull this off and, you know, use, use things that are easily identifiable and traceable to us. I mean, it's just, and that's the interesting thing about groupthink. Like, the two of them are talking to each other, obviously not telling other people because this is their little dirty little secret and they're going to live happily ever after is their plan. Like there's nobody to check them, right? Nobody to say, this sounds ridiculous. What are you doing? The two of them are just talking to each other, amping each other up, saying this is an awesome idea and we're going to get away scot-free and we're going to live a beautiful life together. And they're just making believers out of each other, you know? Of all the plans they could have hatched, this one honestly was the dumbest and the most violent because none of this was necessary. None of this was necessary. Obviously, you don't take a life. I mean, there's so many other things they could have done. So Barry and Keegan have pleaded not guilty to the murder charges. And what has changed here is, like I said, they are now being charged with the death penalty because Mm -hmm. prosecutors feel that This was an especially heinous act when you have the context of how they were chased down. Tiffany was chased down, gunned down, shot in the back. The mother is hiding. They're basically saying that the last few minutes of their lives were horrific and they were tortured before they died. So that's why they are asking for the death penalty here and and one other thing um that i i recall from reading through the court records is there was a footprint a shoe print that was left at the scene they served search warrants twice on keegan's apartment home and they believe that they may have found a boot that might match that so there's you know, mm-hmm. and they also found a cell phone that they didn't find the first time. So there's a lot yeah. more evidence. Obviously, not all of it is being made public, but I do believe that by um, the states being quite serious here and they're going for yeah. the death penalty. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Our next case is out of Houston, Texas, where a teen is charged with his ex-girlfriend's murder. He's also charged with hiding her remains and then posing as a concerned friend pretending to help search for her. These cases undo me. I've, I've covered a few of them where it's been a very similar situation. Teen boy murders teen girl and teen boy comforts the mother of the murder victim and the family and is part of the search and part of the inner circle while everything is going on. It makes me crazy. I, it's almost, look, I know that the murder is the most horrific thing that anybody can do, but this added layer of yeah. betrayal is so egregious. I know, it's crazy. And again, you know, when we think about stories like this and we think about the thought process of these individuals and what they're going through, um, I don't know if it's sort of this step-by-step process. I think that sometimes they're just in the moment trying to wing it and then it just leads them down this crazy path. And then it's almost like this point of no return. And I, I just feel like we see that oft- also, you know, maybe there's a certain idea that you go into these, uh, the, these situations. And then when you're faced with potential consequences, what's going on, like you're just spitballing, trying to find a way out of what you've done. I'm curious here, you know, this case and the other case that I covered involving really basically young people. I mean, look, he's 19 years old. He's legally an adult. But as we know, it's basically the end of teenage years. So my question is, when a young person like this does it, does this, does the, does the crime allegedly, allegedly, he's charged, presumed innocent. But hypothetically, if a teen commits a crime like this, and then, you know, like when a child is really naughty and, you know, some, and has broken a lamp in the living room, yet they stand there next to the lamp as if somebody else yeah. broke it. I'm wondering, what is the psychology behind that? Because this feels like the same, but far worse and far more serious. Right, definitely. Well, I mean, first, we know that the executive function systems in our brain that makes good decisions, plans ahead, you know, even moral development, you know, all of these things that the executive function is charged with. We know that it doesn't fully mature in people until mid-20s or late-20s. 
There's even some studies that say that it doesn't really mature until early 30s, which I think actually makes a lot of sense, right? This is why when we're younger, we're more impulsive. We have more bravado. We think that we're going to just make, you know, everything happen on our own. Uh, there's no consequences, even with like little things. Not I'm talking about not talking about murder. I'm talking just about getting away with little things like, oh, well, if I just finish this project last minute, like my boss isn't going to notice and I'm still going to do an awesome job. Like these are the kinds of thoughts that you more likely have when you're 20 years old rather than when you're 40 or 50. Um, so this idea of, okay, I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar as the metaphor that you use, and now I'm just going to point my finger at everyone else. I mean, this is certainly something that I think, again, like I was referring to earlier, like you find yourself in the situation, like, what do I do? Okay, the first thing you do is deny, deny that I did anything, like doesn't matter what it looks like. And then you just get dragged into the process. They're like, well, help us, you know, help. Okay, well, I'll help you look. I mean, all of a sudden you're this, you know, the, the shoulder that the family is crying on. And um, I don't know if at that point, he's really thought through, this is what I'm definitely going to do when this all happened. It's just, he found himself in a situation and was like, how do I get myself out of it now? How do I look innocent? And it's just the step-by-step is not there. It's just in the moment he's making these rash decisions to just keep going. And then he gets to a point of no return. Oh my gosh. This to me is the most fascinating part is, is those moments where these decisions are made. Yeah. Because Again, to be so young and to, to be part of this pretending, again, the, oh, a monster came in and broke the lamp. It wasn't me. It's so infantile. It's oh, so, yeah. it's, look, I'm not saying that I expect more out of a 19-year-old because it then, you know, setting myself up for always being disappointed. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I really, gosh, that psychology is just, like, I couldn't. Well, first of all, I couldn't, right? Most yeah. people will not commit a murder. They just can't. And then and then for it to be so fresh, you know, it's not like right. it's not like he, again, charged, presumed innocent. It's not like he had days and weeks and months to kind of like come up with a different scenario in his head and prepare. No, this was like nope. immediately, like exactly. oh, pretty much the same day. Exactly. Yep. And that's, that's part of, you know, well, like, what am I going to do now that I find myself in this moment? Well, I, I guess I'll just pretend to feel really sorry and help the family. Okay, well, now I'm being more inundated into their good graces. I guess I'll just keep going. Oh, gosh. Well, the accused here is 19-year-old Ariel Cruz. He has been charged with murder. The victim is his former girlfriend, 21-year-old Edania mm. Campos. Now, the two had dated briefly, according to her family, and she's the one who called it off. They mm. remained friends, but family members have made public statements that he was obsessed with her. But again, mm. I guess she managed to remain friends. If You know, this is the other thing about, you know, I think you can think about this as a young person, maybe yeah. less so as we get older. You know how when you're in that situation that there's, you're trying to get rid of someone, they're kind of, you don't like them, but you, you can't get rid of them. So you're kind of nice yeah. to them. Yeah. And you wonder if she had just really gotten rid of him. What is it about people where they, they, they try to explain away? And we, we are all, I think, at points in our lives guilty of this thing of trying to nice, nice away a problem. It's just like, oh, they're not that bad. They're not that mean. They're not, you know what I mean? Exactly. And I think that there's a lot of self-justification that happens where 
you know, you look at the behaviors, you look at what's going on in your life, and then you try to make sense of it, right? Because our human psyche, it doesn't do well with dissonance. So for example, if somebody is somebody who does tobacco addiction prevention research, but they're a chain smoker, like eventually something has to change. They either have to find a new job or they have to quit smoking because that dissonance of living that life is just too strong. And so I think in this case, it could have also been sort of a dissonance of, well, I guess if the person's still hanging around, I'm letting them like, I guess they're I guess I like them. I guess they're a good friend. You know, you have to make some sense of it or else it's just too difficult for your mind to hold this dialectic of like, well, why would I have them around if I don't really like them? And they're kind of annoyed, you know? It's hard sometimes. I, You know, I dated one person when I was much younger and I could never get rid of this person. No matter <laughs> how many times I tried to break up with this person, you know, and ultimately when you look back at your life and you're like, you know, this person was obsessive right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until he decided the relationship was over that I was truly free. And Interesting. right. And so, yeah. and I remember just being so exhausted from trying to break up with this person. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you can't, you know, you cannot get rid of a person. Right. Yeah. So at one point where you just, right. So at one point where you just kind of like, well, I guess, I guess like they're okay. Like you kind of made, made it okay for yourself to keep them around. It's not that it was okay because I wasn't particularly happy, but you know, no matter what I tried, it didn't work. So I was like, oh, well, right. I exactly. just need to get through this. Right. right? And then right? you start rationalizing everything. Exactly. Yeah. But that wow. rationalization process is so strong. Like we don't realize how strong rationalization can be, you know, and, and, and before you know it, you kind of believe your own rationalization. So then there's, there's kind of no turning back at that point. You're like, well, I guess they're not so bad. Like you just right. make it okay for yourself. Like you said, right. you know, maybe, maybe just, you know, they're not, they're not, maybe they're not as annoying about the, at, as I thought they were, right? It's, it's just not that you, not necessarily that you just think that they're amazing all of a sudden, but it's more just like, well, I guess they're not that bad, you know? Yeah. And even, even if somebody says something, you might find yourself kind of defending them, like, well, but they're really nice. So, you know, like, and that happens, that happens to the best of us because that's just the way all human minds work. Like, yes. it's what's one of the ways that our minds can try to find peace and try to make sense of a situation. And when our minds can't make sense of something, it feels really disturbed. It essentially feels like you're in fight or flight all the time. So it makes mm -hmm. sense why you'd have to do this. So and it's that embarrassing you can have for me to admit this, you know, that I couldn't get out of this relationship yeah. when I consider myself a fairly strong-willed woman, mm -hmm. educated, all of these things. And here I found yeah. myself in this position where I could not get rid of this person. And um, so I feel for Adanya, like there's a little bit of me who like she was a little younger than I was thinking to myself, right. you just, you're trying to get rid of the person. You know, yeah. you're, you're just trying to get through. It's just like, oh, what? Exactly, exactly. And you know what? It's not It's not you, Anna. Like, even the most strong-willed people. But I think it was me because at some point, I mean, despite everything I tried, <laughs> I just, maybe I should have just fought even harder. I don't know. It was exhausting. Crazy. Just oh, so yeah. tired. Wow, yeah. interesting. Those are the dark ages of Anna Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god anyway oh, back boy. to this case enough of my therapy here with dr judy <laughs> so adanya was attending houston community college and very close with her family in fact she drove her sisters to school every day just a lovely young lady 
So on November 28th, Danya dropped her sisters off at school and then she was heading to her own school. Family members had been calling her for hours. They learned that she hadn't turned up for her own classes at college, which was not like her. Not answering the phone was not like her. This is a responsible young woman. So then the family calls the Houston Police Department and you know how disappointing this turns out to be. You know, they try and explain that they think, you know, she's missing, even though it's only been a few hours. The And police are not that helpful early on, but we know early on is when they need to be the most engaged in these situations. Right. Oh, yes. So the family and friends uh, figure out how to use her phone to track the location of the phone, which leads them to Indigo Street in a community in southwest Houston. There they find her car. It's locked. They can see the cell phone and they can see some of the belongings. So they call the police again. This is where I get very upset with the police department. I got to tell you, they absolutely drop the ball here without question. They come out. They take a report. They include it in their report. They see that her phone is in there. They know it's the family car. And the and the family says, please break into the car. And the police say, we don't have cause. What? So they leave. So the family calls a locksmith to come out and open the car. And while they are out there, they are with her friend, the former boyfriend, knocking on doors, asking people in the neighborhood, have you seen her? How long has this car been? All this conversation is going on. And who is helping in this whole thing? The man who now stands accused of killing her. So um, several hours go by. Several hours go by. And you know, the family's very you know upset at this point. So at right. 5.40 that evening, this has been going on for hours and the locksmith hasn't shown up yet. So one of the family members says, that's it, I'm done. I am breaking the glass and I'm getting into the car. I mean, it's not like anyone is gonna accuse them of breaking into a car, it belongs to the family. Right. They break exactly. the car window, right? They unlock the car and then they open the trunk. And that is where they oh. find their loved one in the trunk. Oh my God. She's dead stuffed in a trunk they should not have seen that if anyone had to see that it should have been the police but the family should not have had to see this so what do they do they call 911 they come out the paramedics come out it's too late she is pronounced dead at the scene and who is part of this entire gang of people this gaggle of family members this guy who is now right. stand accused of killing her Acting shocked and hugging, extending his sympathies to the family. It's just so awful. Oh, it is such a betrayal. Such a betrayal. So I think at that point, obviously, the you know, there were family members who were like telling the cops, you, you better talk to this guy, you know, because he used to date my sister. And so then the police, well, so the police finally do interview him and they claim they claim that he confessed. But before I get to what his confession is and what his details are, I want you to hear from Idanya's aunt, Bobby Munoz. She talked to ABC 13 about this moment when they found her dead and he, the now accused, was standing there. Let's play the clip. He knew where the car was at the whole time. 
because he's the one that put it there with her in it. I just think her aunt says it as it is, as the police allege. And that is horrific, that betrayal. And it's just, I, I don't know. I, I, does it does it distract from the grief because it, it focuses the grief towards the anger? Right. I mean, I think a lot of this is really about trying to make sense of how somebody who obviously had this level of intimacy with this young girl, you know, you, you, you kind of have an inherent trust, I think, as a family member in some ways, because you just can't see like this innocent person, like innocent seeming person, like a young person being able to commit a crime like this and then show the level of sympathy and caring that he does to the family. It's like, you just can't connect the dots. No. And I, I honestly think that as this was happening and as Ariel's confessing, um, it must have just been like such a shock first to the family, but then the additional blow of feeling so betrayed, you know, like him taking advantage of their vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that he would essentially rally with the family members and do the search and kind of stay with them. It's like this idea of, well, maybe, maybe she's still alive. Like we all just have to hope and pray she is. And it's, I think it's just that second level of that betrayal and that recognition of the betrayal. I think that's really the, the, the kicker, you know? Yeah. Very disturbing. Yeah. So yeah. police questioned Ariel and they claim that he confessed to luring Idanya to a shopping plaza before shooting her in the head and stuffing her into the trunk of her car. They haven't released a lot of details and they haven't again told us because forensics will take quite a bit of time. But they claim that he has already confessed and that he allegedly said that after killing her, he drove her car from the scene where the crime was committed, which they haven't revealed, to that Maryland location where, you know, that street where the abandoned vehicle was found. Prosecutors claim that Ariel's motivation is quite simple. He was a jilted lover and he didn't like it. So what we don't know is the details of what allegedly went down, what the conversation was, but you know, they, they, they again are claiming that that's the motivation and it kind of would make sense. It's a logical one. So then investigators later searched Ariel's bedroom. He lives with his parents and they claim that they located a gun that may have been used in the murder. But of course, ballistics tests will come later. So after he's arrested, Ariel is arrested, friend of family, right? Friend of victim. His bond was set at 500000 However, his attorney filed a motion to try and lower that. Um, and he had his first court appearance on Monday of this week on December 4th. Now, Ariel was there trying to get that bond reduced. Meanwhile, all of her family, they are in the courtroom. And they were very pleased that that bond 
lowering was denied, but clearly there were a lot of feelings that they have. So now I want you to hear from the aunt again, Bobby Munoz, and still talking to ABC 13. This is how she describes what the family believes justice will look like. I hope that the state of Texas takes his life like he took hers. And I hope he never gets out. I can certainly understand how she feels and how the family feels. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> like we said about the earlier case, like this idea of like a life for a life, it's a different kind of rationale, but it's that idea of maliciousness that's not just about the murder, but it's about deceiving the family, um, you know, getting them when they were already hurting and vulnerable and scared and pretending to be a shoulder to cry on. I mean, that's a different kind of maliciousness in and of itself, too. Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff that juries, yeah, because that yeah. just touches on the human emotion. It just exactly. makes it a more egregious, more violent crime. It exactly. just really ratches that up. Now, Ariel has a defense attorney, remember, innocent until proven guilty. Um, his defense attorney says he is innocent. And when asked about this confession, the alleged confession, the attorney replied, false confessions are made all the time. And mm. then the attorney added, but my heart goes out to the Campos family. Um, what they are experiencing is unimaginable. That is true. That yep. is true. It's always sometimes a little hard to swallow when it's coming from the defense attorney, but <laughs> yeah. Well, at least there was that acknowledgement. I mean, hey, look, the defense attorney has to do his job. And if his client is saying I'm innocent, the defense attorney's job is to defend that client to the best of their ability. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So no trial date has been set. It's very, very early on in the process. Um, and way before we're ever going to get to that, this young woman must be buried. Her funeral is scheduled for next week. Our condolences. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn save spend wisely and invest with your guardrails in place 
Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. It is now time for our comment section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on social media. And here's our producer, Will Updike. Hey, Will. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good. (laughs) Judy, good to see you as always. You too, you too. What do you have for us? Help us. Okay, so lighten you know, the mood. With the holidays, it's um, you know, it's it's time to time to visit family. Um, you know, uh-huh. sometimes dig sometimes dig up the past. This is a little bit of an inappropriate uh familial visit uh with uh, some very inappropriate digging up of the past. This case comes out of St. Louis, Missouri, where two 73-year-old men were charged after they allegedly dug up their grandmother's grave over the course of several days. Now this happened back in August. Again, gotta note the age of these suspects here, both in their 70s. Um, and kind of how this came to light to the police was there was actual, actually a worker at a Shake Shack, which a, a, was across the highway essentially from this uh, graveyard. And she saw she saw these two men Reportedly, according to her, they they returned to the scene a few times throughout like a couple of weeks. But this one day they were out there and they were digging. And this is just this is just broad daylight, mind you. It's it's not the cover of darkness or anything. So she's taking out her phone. She's filming these people. <laughs> she notices both the age of the suspects. And then obviously they're making some pretty big headway on this grave at this point. They've got you know quite a lot of dirt. So she calls uh, the Berkeley Police Department. They send an officer over there and it's a call about property damage. Um, so this a little note on this, uh, the cemetery here. The cemetery is one of the oldest in St. Louis. It's it's over 100 years old. It's the final resting place for over 42,000 people. And it's one of the in the state, one of the first places where um, black people could could bury their relatives. Um, where they like the the remains wouldn't be disturbed. Um, so, it, you know, it's kind of like a it, there are some historical significance about yes. it. Um, so the suspects were identified here uh, as Jimmy Allen and Zebulon Nash. Um, and when officers arrived, Nash uh, told them that he was retrieving his grandmother's corpse to relocate her body and that Allen had been assisting him for the last several days. Now, Allen reiterated the story, but he added that he completed most of the digging at the gravesite <laughs> and was also helping Nash retrieve his grandmother's corpse. Now, there's a little bit of an aside here from the suspects in this, where they said uh, they had actually paid someone to do this. They were looking to move the grandmother. They had paid someone to do this, and they apparently got ripped off, so they decided to take matters into their own My. hands. Mm-hmm. Now, there was also some people kind of saying, you know, this this is a grave plot. They have paid for this. They do technically own this and, and should be allowed to do whatever they want with it. Um, however, uh, the Berkeley police chief actually said that if they wanted to remove the body, they would need a state order to do so. It's not something you can um, kind of just roll up and do, apparently. Um, really, you but... can't just contact the cemetery and say, so I want to move grandma? I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know the full thing. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing about this case, too, is wow. given the age of the suspects, um, they were detained on charges of destroying or defacing cemetery property, uh, but they were released right away. And they like the police officers noted 
both the age of these suspects and they said it was like a really hot day. They had been outside and they didn't really oh. want to keep them. Um, so th there's kind of a thing going on of like, should these guys be charged? Like, what is the situation with this? There are some people who are for like the preservation of this Washington Park Cemetery. Of course. And, um, the, you know, they said that the cemetery site is in a wretched state of neglect and despair. Mm. And this might have been what contributed to it. I mean, if you Do think about it, you got... Do we know why? Do we know why they wanted to move grandma? It, like, we don't know why. Know the I would, why. Okay. It, it, could, it could be due to, like, the state of where this, like, the yeah. condition the cemetery is in. I mean, obviously, if you have two guys returning over a period of, like, two weeks, They're digging determined. in broad daylight... I mean, there's something wrong there in how mm. things are being upkept, I would imagine. Mm. But I... the kicker on this is that they dug six feet down. Oh, the grandmother's remains were not there. What do you <gasps> mean she wasn't there? No answer on that. I cannot find anything on why they were not there, but uh, apparently someone stole grandma. They got there and there was nobody there. So again, what? should these two guys be charged? Yes, they were technically defacing the property, but like who's going to answer for a body not being there? Oh, they have what? a case. They themselves have a case. Oh my gosh. Weird a lot of cool. twists and turns. Whatever reason why they wanted to move grandma their intuition was right if they were like not happy with that particular plot right I, it's like yeah well, i feel like they were stole grandma's body i feel like yeah. they were completely in the wrong here right oh wow um oh, yeah wow. so it, it, it's it's a confusing one like i said some people had differing opinions on on how these guys should be charged what they should be charged with hey tim said these cops are something else uh, not really agreeing with it here. Now, uh, Chris G thought they had ulterior motives. They said, I think grandma was buried with some jewelry or something worth money. I don't know that that's what the two 73-year-old men were after, but if she was previously grave robbed or something, who knows? Um, yeah, I don't know. The condition of this place just raises so many questions. I just don't know how people could return to digging the same site for like almost two weeks in broad daylight. And nobody, nobody noticing notices. at the cemetery. Nobody the, notices. Except for the girl who works at the, the Shake Smash Shack. Burger. Shake yeah. Shack, excuse me. Yeah. And clearly, and clearly they didn't think they were doing anything wrong if they would be coming in the daylight with all their materials and like snack pack and like their drinks for the day. Like, you yeah. know, I mean, that's just, that's odd. But I want to know, is the actual, like, I mean, is the entire coffin gone? Is it just the body? So, like the coffin's empty. Yeah, it's hard to tell from the pictures. Um, okay, because there, there's like um, it, it's shown with like some wood that's broken, but I can't tell, and no one, and it, it didn't in any report I read specify if that was the coffin. Because I know sometimes there's other like enclosing things or things to hold, so it doesn't, you know, when it rains or whatever, it doesn't mm -hmm. like all bear down on the, um, on oh, the God. coffin. So I, I don't know, but her just not being there and. Is it worse if the coffin is still there? I think it's somehow worse. It's all yeah. horrible. You know what? It's There's nothing good about any of this. It's all horrible. No matter what, it's horrible. Um, yeah, Jen B uh, had it with this. They said, no body. You're telling me I'm digging graves for days and then got arrested for nothing? Which, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it's really, really tough. Uh, Justice uh, agreed with this. They said, after looking at the condition of the cemetery, I would want to dig up and relocate my grandmother too. Mm. And you know what? 
only the best for grandma. She's not staying mm. in a place where people can, uh, exactly. can, can, can dig graves during the day. Uh, but oh. anyways, that'll do it for this week's comment section. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who sent those in. We hope that y'all are having a uh, happy and safe holidays and visiting loved ones under better conditions than these. Um, those above ground. Yes, yes, yes. those above ground. Uh, but that'll do it for this week. Thank you so much. And I will see you all later. Bye, Will. Judy, you have written several books and your latest one is about attachment, which I'm so curious about. Oh, well, thank you so much for always being so supportive of my work. My new book is called The New Rules of Attachment. And it is a, what I hope for readers is gonna be a revolutionary approach to attachment theory that teaches readers how to heal their inner child to change their insecure attachment styles in relationships, friendships, at work and home. Uh, what people don't realize about attachment styles, which is really referring to the primary bond that you have with important caregivers in life when you were very young and how that sets up a template to how you think about yourself and how you relate to others, even how you go about your goals. Most of the times when we look at attachment theory, people are talking about them in the realm of romantic relationships, how that affects your adult romantic relationships. But as it turns out, most of us are thinking about this all wrong. It's really not just limited to romantic relationships. It actually affects every aspect of your life, potentially, from your friendships to career to goal setting and critically, our sense of self. So the good news is you can learn to be securely attached at any age and stage of life. It doesn't matter if your primary caregivers are around to kind of help you reflect on what happened or do the work. And this is not a book that blames your caregivers in any way, but you know, sometimes for, mo for the most part, all of our parents are trying to do their best, but you know, they make mistakes along the way. They've got their own stuff going on, right? And things happen. There are and many tragedies happen. in families. Exactly. And so that can all lead to disruptions in attachment. And maybe it's not anyone's fault. And it's not really about blaming anyone. But this idea is that you can reclaim your ability to feel safe, loved, and capable of achieving the life you want at any time. So just like my first book, Stop Self-Sabotage, this is going to be a lot of hands-on exercises that are science-based, but also distilled enough to be practical and that something you can do every single day. It's not going to feel like insurmountable, but I, I'm really, really excited about this book because when people ask me, you know, well, what are you going to do after stop self-sabotage? You know, and for me, it's like what's underneath self-sabotage? There's a deeper level and attachment is what's a deeper level. So very so, excited. So what's an example then, Judy, of, of how one can start to modify their behaviors or reactions that are all um, grounded in, in an issue of attachment? Yeah, so one really quick technique that you can start doing today is just to start visiting with that part of you that's still a child and like still has those childhood dreams and the childhood innocence and maybe had some unmet needs from that time when things were difficult in your family. Um, and one really fun way to start doing it is just like play with your inner child, like literally challenge yourself every single day to do something that you enjoy doing as a child. And really just kind of connect with that time in your life. Not only does it bring joy and meaningfulness, but it's also a way just to invite your inner child out because a lot of times we try to suppress those needs. Like, okay, well, you know, I don't want to have to complain about that. I don't want to think about that right now, you know? And then we, we push away these critical needs that we have as children. And so, you know, some of the things that I've been doing, I've been like, I played hopscotch yesterday by myself. No. I went to the playground a couple of days ago. Uh, I made some lanyard bracelets. Get out. Um, Are you going to a Taylor Swift concert too? What is I next, mean, Judy? 
I know, right? I mean, as a friendship child, maybe bracelets. not. Yeah, friendship bracelets. But I remember how much I loved those when I was a kid. And also how I would just play hopscotch for hours, you know? So mm-hmm. anyway, it's just things like that, you know, just to invite your inner child out to play, to honor your inner child. And then like to dialogue with your inner child, you know, we all have that little child inside of us and it's important to honor it and to, to truly understand what it is that it was maybe missing in those critical years and then try to give it to them now as an adult. And so this is just the first step. I wonder if that's why I've always loved Pop-Tarts. You know, when I was a kid. <gasps> yeah, I love Pop-Tarts too. Loved Pop-Tarts. Love Very specific. It has to be the strawberry with the white frosting on it. Oh, you know? those are the best. Those are the best. I agree with you. I also really like um, putting juice boxes in freezers and eating them like a lollipop. So, I mean, like I mean, like a popsicle. So I need to start doing that again. That's a really but, fun treat for me. Judy, how does this, which sounds like an awful lot of fun, like mm-hmm. how does this help with your attachments? Well, a lot of times when we're children, we had these needs, you know, we all did as humans. I mean, we are born the the species that we are. We can't survive on our own. That's literally just a biological fact. So during that time, we really have to lean heavily on the people around us to meet our needs. But sometimes if we if there's trauma in the family, if there's other levels of insecurity with that bond, like I'm not sure if my parents going to actually attend to my needs, or maybe they seem really busy and stressed out on their own. So I don't want to bother them. We start using coping strategies that are not actually super helpful um, in the grand scheme of things. But in that moment, it was what helped us to survive. So for example, if you had a parent that wasn't totally available, you may try to just be an overachiever so that they will pay attention to you because they like your achievements. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if you had a parent who you weren't sure if they were going to come back, like you're just not sure. I mean, half the times they're not in the house for different reasons. You know, you might act really clingy in some ways or like complain about you know, stomach issues and your headache, like just to get them to stay and nurture you more. And all of these things, when you're an adult, even if your life circumstances have changed, the shadows of those coping strategies are still there because the child's inner child's needs have not been met at that time. And so the important part of this first step of inviting your inner child out to play is just one, recognize that the inner child's there Two, start to understand what were some of those needs that weren't really met when they were a child. And then the step, the the work is to really, as an adult, meet those needs of the inner child, you know, being able to change some of the ideas that you have about life and yourself that developed from so long ago and being able to look at it now and say, okay, but now I am an adult. I am capable of affecting change. What are the things that I can do to take care of that inner child who is still, you know, in the background, essentially having their own little tantrums at times, but it's affecting your life in a negative way. And so it's so important to be able to meet your inner child's needs as the adult that you are now, who can be the template for a secure parent, right? So it's this idea of reparenting yourself in many ways and giving yourself better and more effective coping strategies for the challenges that you have in life right now. Wow, so interesting. Judy, I just love having you on the program, honestly. Thank it's just, you, Anna. It's always, no matter how painful the subject matter is and how deep we go, you always leave us with something hopeful and a tool. And I'm always grateful for that. Oh, thank you. And I'm so, so excited always to be on the show with you and to dialogue with you. And, you know, you're just, you're always doing brilliant work. So I admire you. You're the best. Oh, thanks, Judy. Okay, where can people get all your books, find out more about you or follow you? 
Okay, so follow me on social media. I'm on all platforms, but Instagram's my primary. So it's at Dr. Judy Ho. Right now I'm providing a free mental health wellness advent calendar. So every day of December, we're doing something for our wellness. So I would love for you guys to get on board with me and do that. A lot of these things you can do in under five minutes, but it's just like a great time to just rethink your wellness anyway as we go towards the new year and people tend to self-reflect a lot during the holidays so you can find that free tool on my instagram and you can visit my website there's uh, the pre-order link there for people who are pre-ordering my book i'm going to be holding a special webinar just for you guys with information that's not even in the book so some extra tools and tips um so i have all of the information of that on my instagram and on my website drjudyho.com Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, you won't find any of that good stuff on um, any of my social media sites. You always say that. You're always so self-deprecating about your social media. I love your social media. But anyhow. And you'll always anyhow, find goofy yeah, stuff on there. Sometimes. It. it always Some makes crime. me smile. It always makes me smile. And, you know, because of what you do in your job, Anna, you have to have, like, a happy Instagram. Oh, gosh, yes. I embrace yeah, the yeah. light and the happiness. Exactly. Right? <laughs> always. Hold on always, to the happy. Always, 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 always. always. So that's Anna G News, Anna with one N. Um, you can find this episode, all our episodes. We also have some really special episodes for the holidays, like they're not holiday themed, but we have special podcasts that, you know, look at just one crime. And we have a bunch of great authors who have joined us. So please look out for those during the holidays and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Can you believe we are about to celebrate our 300th episode? <gasps> 300. Congratulations. 300. So, so crazy. Happy We're going to have a big guys. podcast in the new year. Judy, I hope you join us. I know oh, you're super busy, wait. but you're, you know, we love when we celebrate the 300 or yes. 100 mark to do something special with. I was at your last pick. big celebration. So I really hope I can get the invite again for yes. this party. Absolutely. But yes. It'll so be lovely. A party oh on my Zoom. gosh. Congratulations. And yeah. I'm so yeah. proud of you and everything that you've done. So are we. Yeah. So check out our YouTube. Um, yeah. Again, this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget, we have a website. You can subscribe to our newsletter there. So until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime. <laughs>